What's up, New Spring? Welcome to our Sunday gathering. If I've never met you before, my name is Clayton King, one of the pastors here, and I had to tell you some good news as we kick off this day. We're in a series called Resurrection Life, and last weekend, we saw 393 people respond to the gospel by texting Jesus to 30303. You know, I was thinking about this. Shari and I went and got our second dose of the Pfizer vaccine on Tuesday. We're fully vaccinated now against COVID, but we saw 393 people. Come on, somebody, get vaccinated against death and sin and judgment and shame. We saw God show off last week at New Spring Church, and I get the honor today to preach a message about the resurrection life, and I get to talk about a life of adventure. When the team asked me to share this particular story and this message, I was really excited because I like adventure. Uh, To quote the great Bible scholar and theologian, many of you have read his works, many of you have maybe even seen this great stellar scholar in person, uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman, saddle up your horses, we've got a trail to blaze. Come on somebody, give God glory if you know who Stephen Curtis Chapman is. So I wanna share a message about what God has taught me in my 35 year journey of faith and what God has taught Shari and I as one flesh, as a couple who tries to live our life in obedience. Last weekend, we heard about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We also heard the story of how three different people in the Bible were raised from the dead. You know, the difference between the resurrection of Jesus and their raising from the dead is all of those people we talked about last weekend were raised from death, but they would one day eventually die again physically. And they'll be just like you and I, raised again for the resurrection. Jesus, however, when he died and was resurrected, he rose from the dead never to die again, to never taste death again, to prove his authority and dominion over all things. The Bible says he is the firstborn from the dead. He is the first fruits. And we get to experience resurrection life with Jesus. And I want to start off today by saying, I think something that's happened, I'm just going to dive in because I got a long way to go in a short time to get there and we're going to do what they say can't be done because we're eastbound and down. I'm quoting a lot of music today. I don't know what's going on with me, but I want to go ahead and dive in. I want to say this as one of your pastors. I think some of us have become bored with God. I think some of us have become complacent. I want to call it out. I wanna speak with pastoral authority, but with humility and love, I think some of us have become bored with faith, bored with church. We've been walking with Jesus for so long, apathy has set in, and we've just gotten used to it. We show up to church when we want to, we give a little bit here and there, we tithe when we want to, and I'm not saying this to condemn anybody, I'm saying this to let you know, if you have become bored with God, you are missing out. You're missing out on a life of adventure. You're missing out on the very reason that God made you. You're missing out on the things that God wants to accomplish through you. And the year that we just experienced with lockdowns and shutdowns and masks and closings, a lot of us have gotten bored because our routine was upset. 
And I wanna call out the spirit of apathy today. And I wanna say it has no place at New Spring. It has no place among the people of God. If you are a blood-bought, born-again follower of Jesus Christ, the resurrection from the dead is yours in the future. Jesus is in you right now. And the spirit of God wants you to take some risk for him. Okay, now I'm warmed up, let's go. Gotta ask you a question. Gotta ask you a question, I gotta hurry up. If you knew you were gonna live forever, how would you live right now? How about that Myrtle Beach? Hilton Head, Aiken? If you knew you were gonna live forever, how would you live right now? What changes would you make? How much more bold would you be with your faith in Jesus? How many more people would you share the gospel with at your workplace, at school, in the locker room? Well, let me answer the question. If I knew that I was gonna live forever, here is how I would change and here's how I would live right now. More faith, more risk, more adventure. I'd have more faith, I would trust God to do greater things. I would take more risk because I know I've got the safety net of the promise of heaven underneath me. And I would embrace this adventure called the Christian life. Because if you have become bored with God, I guarantee you, I'm saying this as a brother in Christ who at 48 years old can feel apathy coming to get me all the time. I have to fight it all the time. I can feel boredom set in. I can feel apathy hovering over me. I can feel complacency trying to woo me back to sleep and make me comfortable. But if I really believe that the resurrection life of God is in me and that I'm gonna live forever, then I have a question I just wanna ask. What in the world can anybody or anything do to me that would intimidate me from taking risk for God? This is a word for our church today. I wanna testify about the resurrection life, but I also want to impart some resurrection power and faith to us today. Because we have been lulled into slumber in many areas of our lives and God is doing something. I'm gonna say it again. Just this year, we have seen hundreds and hundreds of people, almost 400 last Sunday, raised to life. That is more important than anything else in your sphere of influence. That is more important than the money you make. That is more important than the spring break vacation you just took. I just took one too. That's more important than what you're gonna do this summer. That's more important than, than the date that we're finally gonna be able to take off masks. It's more important than all of that. So let's draw a line in the sand and let's actually believe that the resurrection life is ours. Romans 6, 7, and 8 tells us that. So if you knew you were gonna live forever, how would your life change? I've got news for you. You are gonna live forever. Columbia, you're gonna live forever. Northeast Columbia, you're gonna live forever. Spartanburg, you're gonna live forever. Clemson, you're gonna live forever. Powdersville, you are an eternal soul that will live forever, heaven or hell. And if you're a Christian, you've got this safety net, this promise. And the promise comes from scripture. It's Romans 6, 7, and 8. For one who has died, the Bible says, has been set free from sin. Now, if... We have been raised with Christ. We believe that we will also live with him. So what we're doing right now, this life we're living right now on this earth, Dell, 
my college roommate from Gardner-Webb back in the 1900s sitting on the third row in Anderson. You and I are gonna live forever in the new heaven and the new earth. Donna, we're gonna live forever. I see you at the YMCA three or four times a week. I'm gonna see you forever in the new heaven and the new earth. You're gonna live forever somewhere and I have died to my sin. Now I'm alive in Christ. So here's what I wanna say. If we're going to cheat death, what have we got to lose? If we are going to cheat death, and we will, then what have we got to lose right now? Why not give that extra money right now? Why not give away that spare car that you don't need, that the battery is dead because you haven't crunk it up in eight months? Why not give it away right now? If you know you're gonna live forever, then why not go ahead and sign up as a host home for the weekend in July? Yeah, the teenagers might tear a hole in your sheetrock. It's okay, they make more sheetrock. You can buy another piece. Why not take the risk now? Because if we're gonna cheat death, what have we got to lose? Now I wanna take you to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter two, uh, verses nine through 13. I wanna read this scripture to you. It's gonna be up on the screens or you can follow along. Here's what the apostle Paul had to say to the church in Corinth about the things that God has prepared for us to do, okay? The things that God has prepared for us to do. What no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no human heart has conceived. God has prepared these things for those that love him. What things? Things that you can't imagine. Things you've never seen before. Things you've never even heard of. Those are the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Verse 10, now God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit, since the Spirit searches everything and even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except his spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who comes from God so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. We also speak these things, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. Man, I could spend the rest of the sermon just unpacking these verses, but let me suffice it to say, if you read this and you believe it's true, then what the Bible teaches is that God, before you were ever born, was already at work preparing things for you to do. That while you were asleep, snoozing, God was superintending the details of a universe that you weren't meant to control in the first place. That while you are worrying about your finances and worrying about your marriage and worrying about your kids and worrying about being single and worrying about corona and worrying about everything in the world, God ain't worried. God's not twiddling his thumbs or wringing his hands or seeking counsel because he is wise and sovereign and powerful and he has already prepared things. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he will reveal the adventure to you one small step of faith at a time. So I don't want us to be so focused on the miraculous that we miss out on the mundane. Here's where God works. God works in the everyday. God works in the moment by moment. God works at three o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon when you just need another cup of coffee, but you choose an apple instead of coffee because if you drink a cup of coffee at three o'clock, you'll stay up all night. I'm just testifying right now. 
It's, it's a thousand little steps of faithfulness that nobody sees that lead to the momentary miracles that we get to testify about. The reason 393 people prayed to receive Christ last Sunday at New Spring is because hundreds of volunteers and hundreds of staff members that many of you never saw at your campus, Clemson, at your campus, Greenwood, at this campus, Anderson, were working around the clock creating videos and making sure everything sounded right. They're part of the adventure just like I'm part of the adventure, just like you're part of the adventure. But here's what I know from the scripture. If we are faithful in the mundane, there will be moments of the miraculous and it's an adventure so if we really believed that God had prepared things in advance for us to accomplish we would embrace the adventure that means every room I walk into whether it's a coffee shop or the line at Target whether it's an airport terminal or whether I'm in a restaurant that means every person that works in a cubicle besides somebody else in a cubicle, every student in a chemistry class, every, every girl on a, on, a, on a girl's softball team, every guy on a football team, that means every space you walk into, you could walk in just assuming God has already been here, God is already working in these people, there's an adventure waiting on me, I just need to step out in faith and take a risk and see what God does, nothing ventured, nothing gained, because we're going to cheat death, what have we got to lose, okay, here we go, y'all ready? I gotta tell y'all a story. I gotta show y'all some pictures. I wanna testify about something Shari and I saw God do over 20 years ago that is a testimony to this particular truth. God wants you to live a life of adventure. When I was a little kid, I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark and I thought, I want to be Indiana Jones. I didn't know that God was gonna save me and call me to ministry and then call me to marry a woman who was called into ministry. And so long story short, my wife and I had an opportunity to go on a mission trip to India, to the Himalayas of North India, a land called Ladakh, the land of high passes. It looks, like the, it looks like the surface of the moon. It's a dry and arid region, except for the valleys. And, and we were trying to take the gospel to six unreached Tibetan Buddhist villages. As far as we knew, no one had ever been to any of these villages with the gospel or with a copy of the scripture. So our plan was to hold medical clinics in these villages. It was about 200 miles on foot with backpacks, living in tents for about a month. And we knew, we were told that if we went, there was a good chance that we could be kidnapped and even a small chance we could be killed because this region is on the border of India and Pakistan. And those two countries have fought three wars over this area called Kashmir. We were right there in that area. As a matter of fact, in 98 and 99, when we went, there was a war taking place between India and Pakistan. And that's where we went. We thought it's gonna be a great adventure. This first picture I wanna show you is my wife and I. This was 1999. We had been married four months. I thought, what better adventure than to take my wife to the Himalayan mountains where we might get kidnapped or killed for Jesus. And, and actually, she thought that was a great idea too. This is a place called the Zanskar Valley. The Zanskar Valley is this amazing, beautiful, harsh climate. And there are villages along this valley. The Zanskar River runs through it. Those are snow-capped peaks, 21, 22,000 foot peaks. And our job, our calling, our adventure was to get to a village called Zangla in the Zanskar Valley. That's important. It's a big detail because remember, if you really believe that God had already planned things out for you to accomplish, 
You can embrace the adventure. We believe that God had done that. And so we begin our trip, and, and back then, uh, I had no beard. I still had a little bit of hair, but I wanted to go on an adventure with my wife. This was going to set the tone for our, for our marriage. The next picture is the actual village of Zangla that we were trying to reach. It had about 120 people there. Let me tell you about this region. The reason why we wanted to take the gospel there is because when China invaded Tibet uh, decades ago, half a century ago, the Dalai Lama, who was a Tibetan Buddhist, fled uh, Tibet and he came across the border into this area called Little Tibet, also known as Ladakh, India. And everybody who came with him are Tibetan Buddhists. And this is what their monasteries and their villages look like. Very small, very harsh. Our goal was to take the gospel to start the trek at this village called Zangla. I'll say it again. That's very important to this story. And so we knew that we had to take some risks to get there, but we also knew we were going to have opportunities along the way to share the gospel with Tibetan Buddhist monks, like the ones you're going to see in this picture. This is a monastery where they train little boys to become Tibetan Buddhist monks, and that's me uh, with my guitar. Some of you don't know that I'm a musician, and um, I, I don't still play anymore, but we carried the guitar with us so that we would go into these places, they would see a guitar and it would draw a crowd. And these Tibetan Buddhist boys and these men would come and we would sing worship songs and a few of them could speak a little broken English and they would always ask for Bon Jovi or Michael Jackson, just FYI. If you ever find yourself in the Himalayas and you don't speak the language, just a shot through the heart and you're to blame, darling, you give love. Okay, I'm done, That's, that, was a, that was a former life. But we would go to these places and we would just give them um, medical clinics for free, but we'd also hand Bibles to them in their own language. Many of them didn't read or do, or they didn't read Ladaki. And so we would also give away Bibles and picture books. So if any of you are old enough to remember flannel graphs from Sunday school, we basically gave out a version of a gospel comic book with the story of Jesus and his death and resurrection in pictures. And we would leave them at all of these monasteries. And so we had to trek. It was hard. I'm, this wasn't a hike. This was a trek. And this next picture is Shari and I uh, on our toughest day. We went about 20 miles that day, and we went over, this is 18,000 feet. Y'all, I've never been so high in my life. It's the highest I've ever, I mean, it's like the elevation highest I've ever been, not the other kind of high. I've never been high on drugs. I've never smoked weed, and if they, even if they legalize it, I will not. This is the highest elevation that we ever went to. And what I'm trying to get you to see is, we didn't just get to walk in to the Himalayas and share the gospel. We had to take some risk. We had to break a sweat. We had to train. We had to risk something. We had to sign medical forms and legal forms that freed up the missionaries we were with from recovering our bodies if we fell off the side of a cliff and died or if we were blown up by a terrorist. We had to actually sign our names to those papers. But I... You know, one of the best things about living the life of adventure is you get to live it with your friends. You get to do it with your brothers and sisters. For me, the greatest adventure, the greatest part of this life of adventure is that my wife and I are doing it together, that we are one flesh, that, that we're partners in ministry, that our children get to be on this adventure with us. And that's one of the beauties of the adventure. Now, the next picture I'm gonna show you is uh, a picture 
from a little town called Cargill. We had a flat tire on our medical vehicle. In our medical vehicle, we had lots of medicine. We also had 1,100 Bibles in big plastic Rubbermaid containers. We were told if we got caught with Bibles, we'd probably be taken hostage, maybe even killed on the spot. And so in order to be discreet, we put all of the Bibles in big Rubbermaid containers and labeled them Bibles on the outside. We didn't do that, somebody else did that before we got there. We had to go through Cargill to get our tire fixed. Cargill is a village, you can Google it if you want to. It sits on the border between India and Pakistan. So we're coming through in our bright white vehicle with red crosses on the side and a red cross painted on the top. It looked just like a target. And we're driving through Cargill and we hear a boom. And our driver, Devon, turns around and says, they are bombing and shelling and trying to blow us up and trying to kill us. You pray really hard, I will drive really fast. True story. So they're trying to blow us up. Shari looks at me, we've been married four months, and she goes, are they really trying to kill us? I said, yes, they are. And she said, cool. I can't think of a better way to die than serving Jesus with my new husband. Is that not the sexiest thing you've ever heard in your entire life? Shari King, you are sexy. The more you love Jesus, the sexier you are, girl. I'm crazy about you. So they, they shoot some mortars, we, we take off. I pulled out my 35 millimeter camera. If you don't know what that is, and you're under 35, ask your grandparents. I pulled out my camera. Do you see those smoke plumes, those, those, those columns of smoke? Those are the mortars they were shooting at us. What an adventure! So we get our tire fixed, we leave the village, and as we outrun the mortar fire, we pass this building right here. I took this picture as well. That's one of the buildings that was hit by the mortars. They pulled dead bodies out of that building. Right there on the river that separates, this is India on this side, that's Pakistan on the other side, at least the, the area that they defended is Pakistan. What an adventure. And then as we're driving out of the village, we pick up a hitchhiker. Now remember where we're trying to go. We're trying to get to the Zanskar Valley to a village named Zangla, and we pick up this guy. So this guy, the one with the hat and the sunglasses gets in the vehicle and I start freaking out. I'm team leader and I'm like, no, no, no. We don't pick up hitchhikers. Get out of here. He could be a terrorist. Our driver says, shh, do not disrespect him. He's the king. And I'm looking at the driver. I'm like, yes, yeah, some king. He's hitchhiking. What kind of king hitchhikes? He's wearing a members only jacket. What is he, the last member? What is this? Then that guy looks at me and says, you're a very loud talking boy in English. I'm like, wow, you speak English. He said, yes. I said, I said what's your name? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, this is what he said. My name is Raja Norbu. Well, I know that Raja means king. I said, your name is Raja Norbu. He said, yes. What is your name? I said, my name is Clayton King. He goes, ah, yes. You're from America. You're a great king in America. Clinton King is your name. You're a great king. I said, that's right, of a vast and mighty domain. I am a great king. He thought because my last name was King that that was indicative of my position in America. Then he says, why have you come here? I said, well, nothing risk, nothing gain. We are missionaries. We came to tell people about Jesus. And actually, we want to get to your area, this area called Zanskar. I know it's not far away. He said, I am the king of Zanskar. And I live in a small village called Zangla. I said, that's where we want to go. We want to do a medical clinic and tell people about our God. His name is Jesus. He said, give me a pen and a piece of paper. That picture is the pen and the piece of paper. 
where he wrote a note, and I am not exaggerating, not in the least. He wrote the note and then handed it to me. I was like, hey, what does the note say? He said, you will be the king of Zangla while I am in Delhi for our government provincial meetings. I will be back in one month. My wives will take care of you and your friends. Oh, you roll like that, okay. I see Raja Norbu, I see how it is up here in the mountains. He literally named me the king of Zangla. A few days later, our team arrives in Zangla. And when we get there, on the way, we're handing out Bibles to people like this Tibetan Buddhist monk right here. We literally are giving Bibles out in all these monasteries. This man had never heard the name of Jesus. Tibetan Buddhists don't actually believe in God. They believe in spirits. They believe in good spirits and evil spirits. Good spirits bring good luck. Bad spirits bring bad luck. We wanted to share, share with them that there is only one true God and all spirits are subject to him. And his name is Jesus. And he raises the dead. Hold up, I got five minutes left to land this plane. You do not want to start checking Instagram right now. I rebuke that spirit in Jesus' name. So this man is reading a copy of the scripture as we are on our way to this village called Zangla. We get to Zangla, I meet the queen, I gave her the note from Raja Norbu. I said, may we have permission to do a medical clinic tomorrow and give out our holy book to your people. And I kid you not, she did her hands like this and she bowed and she said, Raja, you are the king, you may do as you wish the authority that God gave our team, the work he had prepared for us to do, the things he wanted us to accomplish that we could never do in a thousand lifetimes without the spirit of God. The next day we do a medical clinic. The next day we, we see literally everybody in the village comes out, all 120 people. At the end of the day, the queen comes to me and she says, Raja, I have a question. I never thought I would hear this question in my entire life. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, do you know how to deliver a baby? And I said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, <laughs> Philippians 4.13, except for that. No, I cannot deliver a baby, but our medical missionary here can. So our medical missionary who delivered tons of babies um, in the emergency room in Louisiana where she was from, she tells us, get your headlamps, let's go. And as we're walking to this, we don't know what we're gonna even step into. She said, we need to pray that this goes well because if this doesn't go well, they're gonna think that we brought bad luck with us. So we get into this, uh, this, this home, small home, everybody in the village follows us, everybody. I'm telling you, everybody. She examines the mother and she says, this is really bad. She's been in labor for probably about a day and she's pregnant with twins. And the first one is stuck, it's breached. Pray. And she said, Clayton, you're the biggest human they've ever seen. Stay with me. I, helped I literally helped deliver twins. Never thought I'd have that adventure. I saw it all. And when people say that childbirth is beautiful, they're wrong. It is scary, weird, and disgusting. Make a grown man cry. So she, she says, I've got to get this first baby out or the baby and the mother will die. The mother's already dehydrated. There was blood and water all over the, the floor there. She, she literally broke the baby's leg at the hip to be able to turn the breech baby. And when the baby was born, here's what she said. She said, this baby's dead. He's probably been dead for hours. It's a stillbirth. Pray. That's what the missionary said to us. We start praying. 
We start praying. We're praying, God, get us out of here. God, don't let us die here unless you want us to die a martyr's death. God, you sent us here on an adventure to accomplish something for you. These people need to see your power and your love on display. And we're kind of really more freaking out thinking we might get in big trouble or get beaten up. And while we're praying a prayer, just like a Hail Mary, help us, Jesus, a baby starts crying. I look down and literally right there, she's holding a baby with a broken leg and she goes, oh, this baby just came back to life. Oh, this baby, this baby's alive. This baby's alive. And the people in the room started freaking out and, and they're burning incense and they're chanting things. And right there in that little hut with 100 people plus watching from that village, they saw the power of Jesus on display. He raised a baby from the dead. So I wanna go on record, New Spring, and tell you, we as a church believe that every single spiritual gift is still in operation and God still spiritually raises the dead by saving them and can even, as a sign of the power of the gospel to affirm the proclamation of Jesus, will raise dead people. I believe it, I've seen it with my own eyes. And I can't deny it. And then about an hour later, the twin brother was born. That kid was fine. He came out like looking for a fight. It was, it was amazing. These two little boys born right there that night. And then the next day, we had given out some Bibles at the medical clinic. And the next morning, we heard a chant outside of our tent. And I unzip the tent. And I look out and there's a Tibetan Buddhist sitting there. And he's rocking back and forth with a Bible. He's, he's chanting something. And our cook and driver, Devon, he said, Raja, he has been up all night reading the book of Revelation. Devon's a Christian. He's an Indian Christian. He said, when I asked him what he was doing, he said, I'm reading the book of Revelation, this book. He showed it to me. He said, because I have seen all of this in my dreams and visions since I was a little boy. God prepared it for us. God did it. God set it up. He just needed somebody dumb enough to take a risk. Not dumb enough, faithful enough. Yeah, crazy enough. Dumb, crazy, stupid, a little bit out of it. Who? I don't care what word you call it. The Bible calls it faith. I think risk is a great word. And we took the risk. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. I want to show you um, this next picture. This is Shari and the mom and me and one of the twins and the dad a year later. We went back a year later and Shari and I got to meet him again. I, I got to see the mom again. And this picture is a testimony to resurrection life. But I wanna show you one final picture. This picture to me just encapsulates some of the best parts of this story and also this idea of resurrection life. There's a Tibetan Buddhist monk. He's wearing my sunglasses and he's holding a Bible. A year later, we go back and we're doing a medical clinic right there in that same village. And Devon is back with us again. And at the end of the day, Devon comes up to Shari and I and he goes, I want you to meet, this is, this is the head monk of the village. He's been reading the Bible we brought a year ago. 
and I just prayed with him. He said he wanted to follow Jesus because he was in the room last year when God raised the baby from the dead, and he cannot forget a God who has power over death. He says, your God is more powerful than their spirits that they fear. And we snap that picture. So I want to ask you a question before I'm done. What was the last risk you took for Jesus? What's the last thing you did? What's the last risk you took? When's the last time you gave an extravagant gift? When's the last time that in the mundane, ordinary faithfulness of life, you realized, I'm living faithfully so that I can be right there positioned for what God has prepared? And then maybe this is the most important question. What risk is the Holy Spirit telling you to take right now? Right now, what risk? Somebody somewhere today has got two of something. You only need one. Give the other one away. Somebody watching right now at one of our campuses, you've got money in the bank. It's drawing 0.0001% interest. Yeah, needed it in 10 years. Maybe God's telling you, liquidate that account. Bless a missionary. Liquidate that account. Give it to the church. Liquidate that account. Bless a single mom who's working two jobs. Maybe God's asking you to take a risk. Become a friend with somebody from a different race so that we don't have to always be so emotionally triggered about words like racism when we are investing in real relationships with people from other races to bridge the gap and actually pursue uncommon unity. What risk is God telling you to take right now? Can I tell you as your brother, as your friend, as one of your pastors, just take it. Just do it. You got nothing to lose. You got a safety net. You're gonna cheat death anyway. What have you got to lose? Father, I pray in Jesus' name right now that the people within the sound of my voice would respond and live a life of adventure. I'm gonna ask you to keep your eyes closed and your hearts open. Somebody right now needs to get saved. And if you are ready to give your life to Jesus and begin the adventure of faith, I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. It saves Tibetan Buddhists in the Himalayas, and it saves people in South Carolina in April of 2021. Pray this to Jesus if you'd like to give your life to him. Jesus, I repent of my sin. I believe you are Lord. Rescue me. Save me right now. I give you control. I'm yours. Somebody right now, eyes closed, hearts open. Somebody right now, maybe you need to commit your life to taking a risk or even a call to ministry. I was 14, Shari was 11 when God called us to ministry. Maybe he's calling you right now. Pray this to him. God, I put my yes on the table. I will go wherever you tell me to go. Do whatever you tell me to do. From this day forward, I'll take the risk by your grace. Now with your eyes closed and your hearts open, if you just prayed either one of those prayers, I'm gonna invite you to text Jesus to 30303. Do it right now, just take your phone out. If you prayed to receive Christ or surrender your life fully with your yes on the table, text Jesus to 30303. Father, as we begin to sing, I lift my hands up, lay my whole life down. Would you honor our worship to you in Jesus' name, amen.